You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Well, man, it's great to have you guys along with us for the ride in this Bad Hair Day series. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been manipulated? It could be like an online scam. You fell for it because it was a price that was too good to be true. And as it turned out, it was too good to be true. Or perhaps you got manipulated in a relationship. Maybe it was in a working relationship, on a sports team, in a school. It can even happen in a church. Well, the metaphor for being manipulated that we're using during this brief series is a bad hair day. <laughs> Anybody have a bad hair day before? And uh, what we're looking at today is we're going to show you five characteristics of an Absalom kind of manipulator. Now, if you were with us last week, you saw we talked about Samson. And later on in the teaching day, we're going to see that Samson and Absalom actually have some pretty significant similarities in their stories. But if you didn't catch the message last week, that teaching, you can go back and look at it on our YouTube or SoundCloud or iTunes podcasts and get caught up. But the manipulator in the story last week was a woman named Delilah. And this week it's going to be Absalom. And I wanted to show you a kind of a comparison between Absalom and Delilah. See, Delilah's target to manipulate was Samson, who Samson was blinded by his own lust. Whereas in the story we're going to look at today, Absalom's target was David, who was blinded by his enabling or enablement of his kids. Then you look at Delilah was manipulated Samson himself directly, whereas Absalom was manipulating other people against David. Then Delilah was very secretive, patient, and methodical. And the same was true of Absalom. Delilah was motivated by money, whereas Absalom was motivated by power. Delilah's manipulation destroyed Samson's life, whereas Absalom's manipulation actually destroyed his own life, Absalom. Then Delilah's manipulation um, was, uh, I guess, kind of that womanly influence against a man, whereas Absalom's was a power play against another man, see? So um, let's stand now with that understanding and read how Absalom manipulated. And we're going to be reading from 2 Samuel 15, 2. Um, this week, it's going to be from the New Living Translation of the Bible, Samson, he got up, or rather Absalom, he got up early every morning and he went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from. And they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone would bring their cases to me for judgment and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow down before him, Absalom wouldn't let him. Instead, he took him by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so, look at this last part. He stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. These are the very words of God. Go ahead and take a seat now. And as you're being seated, let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever known an Absalom 
kind of manipulator in your life. It could have been in a company, on a sports team, even in a church who's manipulating other people against the manager or the leadership that's in place in the particular organization that you were associated with. But here's a follow-up question to that, because this isn't just about like, you know, putting the Absalom label on other people, but have you ever had a little bit of Absalom in you? Have you ever caught yourself manipulating to sway the hearts of people away from their uh, leadership that's in place? Because certainly we want to root out the Absalom that's in us as well. Well, today I'm going to show you uh, five things that an Absalom manipulator does or characteristics of an Absalom manipulator. Look at number one, the wound of Absalom, the wound of Absalom. How does someone become a manipulator like Absalom? Well, most of the time, there's some type of unhealed wound there. I'll show you a chart today. And in this chart, you can see on the outer ring, there are things like unforgiveness and hatred and uh, bitterness and these types of things. But really, the reason for these outer ring kinds of dysfunctions are because of the next ring in, someone has an unmet need, an unhealed wound, maybe a pride or a fear there. And then ultimately, it's a theological issue. It's the person's view of God or themselves or the scriptures there that goes awry. Um, but uh, Absalom, the character that we're studying today, no doubt he had this manipulation and unforgiveness and bitterness because of an unhealed wound in his heart. What was that wound? Well, a lot of us believe that it was probably uh, an anger that he had towards his half-brother Amnon. So say Amnon. Amnon, and that was Absalom's half-brother, and Amnon violated Absalom's sister. And so who can blame him for being angry about that? Um, so here's the wound. Look at it with me in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 22. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, look at this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Now look, nobody's saying here that you should just blow things off and forgive people who violate someone else, especially the way that Amnon did Tamar, uh, you know, Absalom's sister. So forgiveness does not say that wrong is right. And forgiveness also does not withhold justice. If there's been some type of a violation or a rape or something like that, we should like report it to the proper authorities. Now in the story that took place here, uh, Absalom didn't report it to the proper authorities so much as he took matters into his own hands. See, who was the authority at that time? It was David. And truth be known, David was a little bit enabling of Am Absalom and Amnon in his life. He, his love for his kids actually went too far and enabled his kids to do things that they shouldn't do. And, uh, you know, all of us understand Absalom's anger in this. I'd be mad too. But here's where Absalom went rogue, is that he decided to be the judge, jury, and executioner. Go with me to the next verse in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 28. Absalom told his men, and by the way, precursor, backdrop, Absalom plans a party, and he invites Amnon and all his brothers to the party. And Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk. 
So he's like, he's like providing alcohol for everyone. It must have been a kegger or something like that. You know, he's like, wait until Absalom gets drunk or Amnon gets drunk. Then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who has given the command. Take courage and do it. You know, it's like, it reminds me of Emperor Palpatine on, you know, the Star Wars thing. You know, he's grooming uh, Anakin and he's like, kill him, Anakin. Now do it. You know, this is, this is what Absalom does. So his hurt, his hatred, his unforgiveness are the seeds that create Absalom's there. And I think what we have to do is watch out in our own hearts that we don't allow the seeds of an Absalom to develop in us. And look, I want to ask you, even if someone's done something really wrong, please forgive them, not for their sake, but for your sake. Forgive them for your sake, not just for their sake. Man, I, I like what uh, author Anne Lamott says. She says, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. And a lot of us are eating the rat poison of bitterness and unforgiveness in our own hearts towards other people. And it doesn't mean that you won't have strong feelings where around these people. And it doesn't mean that they don't somehow trigger you emotionally from time to time. Um, but we still, the best we know by faith, forgive these people for our own sake. You know, Anne Lamont talks about how someone who had hurt her, she had to have a conversation with this woman and those feelings started rising. And here's what she said in the next quote. She says, I smiled back at her and I thought such awful thoughts that I cannot even say them out loud because they'd make Jesus want to drink gin straight out of the cat dish. Anybody ever felt like that when you're around someone? It's like you had these thoughts that would make Jesus want to make, drink gin out of the cat dish. And so that's why the, the, the wounds of an Absalom have to be uh, taken care of so that we don't go on a path to the dark side. But look at number two, the winsomeness of Absalom. Absaloms are very winsome people. Go with me back to 2 Samuel 14, 25. Now, Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. I mean, the dude was flawless from head to foot. He cut his hair only once a year and then only because it was so heavy. And when he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. Okay, this guy was a beautiful man and archaeologists have found these inscriptions of Absalom and believe he looks something like the picture you're about to see on screen. Okay, this is uh, Absalom here, right on. Uh, other scholars think that he may have looked something like this next picture on screen here. There we are. <laughs> Oh, that Gideon, he's a beautiful man. And in real life, he's a godly man and a wonderful uh, man of God. But you know, sometimes at church, you just got to keep things a little bit fun uh, for the sake of fun. So anyways, Absalom was one of the beautiful people. And we beautiful people, we get all the breaks in life, don't we? You know, you know how it feels, right? And you know, I'm kidding there. You know, my eyebrows, I cut them once a year and they weigh five pounds, okay? This is uh, the burden that it is to have these. But remember another king who was handsome in the Old Testament of the Bible, and that was King Saul. And he didn't end so well either, just like Absalom. But I want to show you uh, some background on Absalom and his connection to Samson. I learned this from a really great Old Testament scholar named Robert Alter. And look at this quote of what he says about Absalom. He says, there's clearly something narcissistic about this preoccupation with his luxuriant hair. It is, of course, a foreshadowing of the bizarre circumstances of Absalom's death. Beyond that, the spectacular growth of hair invokes comparison with Samson. 
The parallel with Samson is extended in the burning of Joab's field, which recalls the foxes with torches tied to their tails used by Samson to set fire to the fields of the Philistines. Perhaps the parallel with Samson is meant to foreshadow Absalom's fate as a powerful leader whose imprudence brings him to an early death. And so you see what he's doing there. He's making these comparisons between Samson and Absalom. They both had long hair. They both liked to burn people's fields down, and they both had an unusually early end to their tenure as leaders here. And Absalom used his winsomeness and his looks, and he would go to the city gates when people wanted to go up and have their cases heard, and he would say, hey, look, is David the guy in charge really going to listen to your plea for justice? But you know what? I would listen to you. See, Absalom's come off as really good listeners don't they sometimes? And it's good to be a good listener, but Absaloms have a nefarious motive in their hearts when they listen, see? And then people, because he was so winsome and he was such a beautiful man, you know, and his hair, I mean, could grip the hair on this guy, and people would want to like bow down to him because he was so winsome. And he would say, with false humility, he would say, don't bow down, let me take you. And then he would kiss him. See, Absalom was the first kiss up to people. He told people what they wanted to hear. And you know what? His manipulation worked because remember what we read in the text. He stole the hearts of all the people of Israel here and usurped his dad, the king, King David. And look, it would be easy for us to start thinking of all these people in our lives and start calling everybody else an Absalom, wouldn't it? Um, but it's not quite as simple as that. Because if you look at both David and Absalom, Absalom, David had a pretty bad track record, didn't he? I mean, those of you that have read the Bible know he did some pretty jacked up stuff and he was very enabling of his kids. And so how do you know who is truly God's man or woman of leadership to come under? Well, I think the answer to that question is partly answered in a little section of a book I read some years ago entitled The Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. And in this part of the book, he's talking about a conversation between a young leader and his older mentor. And here's how the conversation goes. The younger leader says, then how shall the people know? And the older mentor says, they shall not. The younger guy says, you mean that in the midst of a hundred voices making a thousand claims, the simple people of God have no assurance of who is truly anointed to bear God's authority and who is not? The older guy says, they shall never be certain. And the young guy says, who then can know? God always knows, but he does not tell. As surely as the sun rises, men's hearts will be tested. Despite the many claims and counterclaims, the hidden motives within the hearts of all those who are involved will be revealed. This may not seem important in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God and angels, such things are central. The motives of the heart will eventually be revealed. God will see to it. And look, if you're a leader of some sort, you don't know who's an Absalom but how you respond to the potential Absaloms in your life will speak volumes about your heart. And then when you're under the leadership of your David in life, 
How you respond to that, David, reveals a lot about your heart. You see what's going on here? So let's move on to number three, the wickedness behind Absalom. Remember last week, we talked about there was a demon behind Delilah, a demon that was manipulating Delilah and causing her to manipulate Samson. And this week, I think we have a potential connection between Absalom and some wickedness that was trying to influence him to manipulate in the kingdom of Israel at that time as well. And we see it in Absalom's family tree. So Absalom's mother was a, an unusually beautiful woman who married King David named Makah. So would you say her name, Makah? Say it. Okay, you did that pretty well. Let's try it one more time in honor of Ali Garcia. Ready? Okay, very good. Okay, so now you'll never forget this woman's name, Makah. And Makah, she was like this princess, and her dad was a king. And the dad's name was Talmai. And who is Talmai? Well, he was a king, and then he was a descendant of a group of people called the Nephilim. Who are the Nephilim? Remember when Caleb and Joshua and the Israelites were going to go into the promised land, and they saw these giants in the land that they were fearful of. That was the Nephilim. Now, here's where things get a little bit weird, okay? So if you're new to church, you know, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but the Bible teaches us that the Nephilim came apart because of some kind of weird union between demons and humans. And if you want to do a deep dive into the Nephilim, I would recommend that you perhaps read uh, the late Dr. Michael Heiser's book entitled The Unseen uh, Realm. Now, that's kind of a deep dive there. So, you know, put your seatbelt on if you're going to read that one. But you might also consider an ancient book called the Book of Enoch. Now, Enoch is not a book that's supposed to go in our Bible, but it's just an ancient book that gives you a feel for the way people viewed the Nephilim and spirituality at that time. And if you're like, dude, I'm not going to read all this stuff, Pastor Doug. Um, you, I'll watch a YouTube video, though. Well, uh, there's a guy named Pastor Vlad, and he does a couple of YouTube videos on the Nephilim, Origins of Demons and the Nephilim and the Watchers, so uh, maybe you want to check that out. But uh, uh, here's another connection to the demonic, and Absalom is that his mom was a princess of that area, Gesher. Now that name Gesher was a region or a place or an area. And by the time Jesus gets onto the scene in the New Testament, Gesher was known as, the name was still evolving at that time. It was called the land of the Gadarenes or Gerasenes. What's that? Jeannie and I actually visited that area of Israel's near the Golan Heights, not too far from Syria. And that's the place where Jesus cast the demons out of the pigs or into the pigs. Remember that? So that area, Gesher, Gathering, Gerasim, is always associated with spiritual darkness and the demonic. And so we see from all of this background that no doubt uh, this had an effect on our guy, Absalom, that we're studying today. Um, he had a lot of demonic stuff in his family background that no doubt affected him. And Absalom was a man of murder. He was a man of anger. He was a usurper. He was a manipulator. And manipulation in the scriptures are always connected with witchcraft, you see? And you'll seldom ever hear an Absalom say the words, I was wrong. You notice that? Absaloms don't like to admit that they're wrong. 
or say, I was wrong or confess sin at all. And Absaloms do not have the ability to, with their hearts, follow another leader. And you know why? Because what's behind that never admitting they're wrong is pride. And an Absalom's pride will say, I know better than the leader, right? So if you know someone who will never say I was wrong, they could be an Absalom. Remember, we don't know for sure, but they could be. Another characteristic of an Absalom is that an Absalom is often surfaced by how they speak about their former supervisors, bosses, or leaders. Have you ever noticed that some people can never have anything positive to say, even when they had a good boss or a manager at work or someone who was a leader over them from the past? They always bring up the negative, and that could reveal that they're an Absalom, see? So by this time in the story, Absalom has already stolen the hearts of the people. He's taken over the throne and he's usurped his dad and rightful king, King David. So now David's on the run because it's never enough for Absalom's just to gain control. Now he's trying to take David out. And that leads us to number four, which is the war of Absalom. The war of Absalom. And this is seen in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. So the battle began in the forest of Ephraim. And the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. There was a great slaughter that day, and 20,000 men laid down their lives. The battle raged all across the countryside, and more men died, look at this, because of the forest than were killed by the sword. And this acknowledgement of the trees or the forest kind of reminded me of the Ents in Lord of the Rings, that help the young hobbits to overcome the evil Sauron, see? And the forest in our story today is that intangible X factor that made an effect on the story because David was enabling of Absalom, allowing Absalom to manipulate here. But Absalom never counted on the forest that day. And so we'll see what happens next in 2 Samuel 18, 9. During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. And so now the manipulator Absalom who was so proud of his hair, is hanging from his hair in a tree. And this is Absalom's bad hair day. His bad hair day. Now, here's what happens with a lot of Absaloms. Everywhere you find an Absalom, sometimes a Joab enters into the picture. And Joabs are not known for their mercy. And Joabs are not enablers at all. Joab's do not suffer fools. And so look at what happens next in our story as Joab comes on to the scene in 2 Samuel 18, 14. Enough of this nonsense, Joab said. Then he took three daggers and he plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled still alive in the great tree. Ten of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him. See? 
Joab's of the world, they don't mess around. Now, can I take a time out here for a minute? Because some of you are thinking about potential Absaloms in your life. And can we just say here that we're not endorsing that you go and like stick them with daggers in their hearts or anything like that. So what's the application for you and I in this story since we're not going to like take, you know, Chinese throwing stars and, you know, and throw it at people. But we have to create boundaries with Absaloms, don't we, in relationships? And sometimes we have to enact those boundaries on them because even when we're trying, we try and have the conversation with them about their manipulation, they manipulate so much and they cloud the air so much that you can't bring a resolution because they just keep manipulating. So you have to create a boundary there. And sometimes if that's an employment environment, you have to part ways vocationally with an Absalom because they just continue and win everyone else over. But they cloud the air with manipulation with you. And so Absalom is, at this point has been brought to justice, but not before David experiences, number five, the weakening caused by Absalom. The weakening. If you're a leader of any kind and you enable an Absalom in the, your area of leadership, I'm telling you right now, it weakens your credibility with the people that should mean a lot to you, with the others that follow. It weakens you as a leader when you enable an Absalom. A leader has to deal with an Absalom. An Absalom must repent or be removed. Remember, David enabled Absalom in, in a murder, and he enabled Absalom in manipulation because he's partial to him. It's his own son, right? How did Joab feel about this? One of his generals, I'll show you. Second Samuel 19, 5. Joab's like, we saved your life today, David, and the lives of your sons, your daughters, and your wives and concubines. And by the way, can I take a time out here for a minute? Because I saw that word concubine, and I'm like, that's weird, isn't it? It's like in the Bible, a guy like had multiple wives and concubines. And some of you who are new to church, it's like, there it is. Well, you know, I've heard people on YouTube say that, you know, the Bible endorses polygamy and multiple wives. Well, actually, it does not. In fact, if you go back and read Deuteronomy 17, 17, it says, no, you're supposed to have like one wife, especially if you're a king. And so the reason that David is having to deal with this drama in the first place is because he did not obey what the word of God clearly teaches, right? And if you read Robert Alter, who's an expert on biblical narrative, he would explain to you that the reason that the biblical authors leave the imperfections of even the leader's in the narrative is because it shows you that it's dysfunctional and it shows you the fruit of this type of sinful behavior like polygamy. So we understand that the Bible does in no way even close justify polygamy. It brings drama that someone wouldn't want. Okay. So, uh, you know, I'm having a hard time. You know, I, I, I'm doing good to deal with my one wife right on. I, I don't have another one. And she's, Got her hands full with me as well, but um, where was I? Okay, I was talking about Second Samuel nineteen five. Okay, remember Joab's upset, 
about, you know, David and how he enabled his manipulating son, Absalom. He says, we saved your life today and the lives of your sons and your daughters and your wives and concubines. Yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed of ourselves. You have made it clear today that your commanders and your troops mean nothing to you. It seems that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you'd be pleased. Now go out there and congratulate your troops, for I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. You see what's happening there? David was this close to losing all the credibility that he had with his generals because he was enabling a manipulator in Absalom. But if you keep reading the text, you'll see that David evidently learned his lesson. Because if you read in the very next chapter of 2 Samuel, it's in chapter 20, another manipulator rises up, and his name is Sheba. And David takes care of business on this one, and he has to remove Sheba. Look at 2 Samuel 26. And David said to Abishai, Sheba, he's a manipulator, son of Bichri, is going to hurt us more than Absalom did. Quick, take my troops and chase after him before he gets into the fortified town where we can't reach him there. So David has learned his lesson. And you know, when a person has a David heart, doesn't bother you to lose a Sheba. But it bothered him to lose Absalom. What's the difference between a Sheba who he, had to, who he didn't have any problems taking out and an Absalom that he had problems with taking him out? is that Absalom's his son. Sheba was not. And family wounds are the deepest wounds, are they not? Whether it's your bio family, adopted family, or even your spiritual family, um, it hurt David to take out, you know, to have to bring a boundary with a son. And this is the point at which you and I had to be very, very careful here. And you know why? Because some of us have wounds some of us have been betrayed or hurt in some ways from different types of family in our lives, haven't we? But if we allow that bitterness to fester in our hearts, we go down the path of Absalom, don't we? And so by way of recap and review, if we look back, Absalom's wound, his winsomeness, the wickedness behind him, his war, and his weakening of David caused David's weeping. Go back to the text with me, 2 Samuel 18, 33. The king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David still loved his son, his kids more than he loved his power as a king or his position or even his very own life. And I believe that that's the part of the story that shows us what God's heart is for us, what Jesus' heart is for us. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, if only I had died instead of you. You know, I brought a picture today of a guy named Delvin Diaz, and I read a news story last week of how there was a shooting that took place and Delvin laid over the top of his autistic son and literally took a bullet for his son. Delvin died so that his son could live and that's precisely what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. And if you would like a relationship with God that you've never had, I want to 
offer it to you today. I believe God wants to adopt you into his family. And so let's bow for prayer now. And if you'd like to receive a relationship with God you've never had before, you might just say something like this, just in your own heart and mind between you and God. God, I choose to believe that Jesus took a bullet for me when he died on the cross. He died as my substitute to pay the penalty for my sin. And God, I acknowledge that Jesus rose again from the dead to give me eternal life. And as we continue in prayer, perhaps some of us have had potential Absaloms in our life, like family wounds, like spiritual family or you know, biological family. Maybe you just want to circle around again and say, God, I want to make sure I don't allow the seeds of an Absalom to grow in my heart. I choose to forgive the people that have manipulated me. I choose to forgive the people that have hurt me. I choose to forgive the people that have offended me and dishonored me. And no doubt someone has a particular person in mind and you just want to cleanse your heart and say, God, I choose to forgive them. I'm not saying what they did was right, but I choose to forgive them for my own sake. And still others, perhaps as we went through this message, maybe you caught yourself being an Absalom and manipulating and you want to repent of that. Perhaps you just say to God, God, I don't want to be an Absalom. I don't want to be a manipulator. I want to be straightforward and honest and true according to your word. And so God, would you root the Absalom out of me? I confess it is sin and I ask for your forgiveness. God, I want to be as Jesus said. I want my yes to be yes and my no to be no. And I pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen, amen. Well, next week, we're going to talk about uh, bowling alone. So uh, come on back for that. So what is the solution for loneliness and the alienation that a lot of people feel? I think we're going to see it in the scriptures next week. So come on back for that. I think it'll be encouraging for you. A couple of other announcements I want to make you aware of real quickly is that on August the 20th, we're going to have what's called a tribe walk. Some of you would like to get involved in one of our groups and get to know some other people here at the church. And still others of you have a vision or a passion for something to create some type of group. Well, for more information on any of that, you can certainly go to the Tribe Connect tent. But on that day, we're going to have a tribe walk where a lot of the leaders of the groups are going to have tables out here. So you can go by and get to know people and see if there's a group that you might want to be a part of that week. And another thing that's coming up uh, next month, or actually in September the 3rd, is going to be child dedication. If you had a child that you'd like to dedicate here at the church, we would love to help you do that. And so save that date, September the 3rd. Make sure and get your friends and family um, set up for that so they can come and watch you dedicate your kids to raising them in the ways of the Lord. Now, um, before we take off, I want us to talk about our offering today. And this is one of those things where, you know, we want to be very careful not to be overly coercive or, uh, you know, because we, we don't want to be one of those churches that's like manipulates people regarding money. But what I want to do right now and what I sense to do this week regarding our offering is to pray for your personal finances. And the reason is that it sometimes feels like with inflation nowadays, a lot of us can't leave the house without spending 50 or or $100. I mean, it's like life is getting pretty expensive out there, isn't it? 
And those of you that are small business owners, you know, uh, it hits you as well. And so why don't we stop and pray and allow me to pray for you guys and your personal finances at home, would you? Father, I want to thank you for these good and generous people here. And I want to pray that, you know, obviously, God, we want to steward our resources and we don't want to go into crazy credit card debt or anything like that. But Father, I want to pray that you would provide for your people. And I pray that you'd even bless people with checks in the mail and unexpected blessings that come from you to make their bills and uh, bless their businesses and all the endeavors that they do. Um, and Father, as you know, we're a little bit behind at the church this week, and I just want to pray that you provide everything we need, and we trust you with that as we seek you first. In Jesus' name, amen. And so uh, if you're new here, I think we'll put up the ways that we take up our offerings, four different ways. And so um, you can you know, go to our website, and all that information is there. So let's stand up together, and before you guys worship through your generosity, I wrote you guys a benediction poem this week, and it's entitled Bad Hair Day. Absalom. In, in a world where skies turn gray, a metaphor for games they play. Like Absalom of ancient lore, he manipulated seeking more. Bad hair day, they twist and sway, deception hidden, their motives betray. But we'll rise strong, not let astray, boundaries set, we'll find our way. Their words like scissors cutting deep into hearts, they sow deceit. But God's word will embrace, protect our souls, find our own space. Let's stand firm, united and aware against the Absaloms, unfair. They charm and lure, but truth unveiled. We'll break the chains, our souls unjailed. Through storms of life, we'll push ahead, no longer fooled by what they've said. The lessons learned from days of old empower us, God, make us bold. Bad hair day, they twist and sway, deception hidden, their motives betray. But we'll rise strong, not let astray, boundaries set, we'll find our way. So let this tale be a guiding light to recognize those who seek to bite. With God's word, we'll be set free, Absalom's hair caught in the tree. You guys have an amazing week, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.